0: Welcome to Straight Talk Wealth, heard every Sunday morning at 8 a.m. With your experts in all aspects of wealth accumulation, preservation, and income planning guaranteed to last a lifetime. And now, your host of Straight Talk Wealth, Bruce Whitey, on Newstalk 1590 KVTA.
1: Say hello to my little friend! I love it when a plan comes
0: together.
1: Good morning, Ventura! Hey, how you guys doing? It's another rousing round of Straight Talk Wealth Radio. This is the show... Where we combine what's going on in this crazy economic times that we live in. And how do you, what should you do about it? I'm trying to you think, know? but nothing happens. First of all, we got to convince you things aren't the normal, usual way they are. I mean, you know, there's this social veneer. There's this kind of covering that makes everything seem okay on the surface. I like pie. And, uh, you know, we have a pretty vibrant Uh, resilient society that we live in. But every once in a while, we get into these big messes and people do get hurt and they don't get hurt until it's too late to see that they already could have seen what was coming. You're fired. And so what we're portending in our show here, as you listen every week, is that we live in historic times. We live in times where uh, things are not as they've been. Retirement. In this coming decades to come, the next couple 20 years, is not going to be anything like it was for mom and pop back in the day. You know, my dad uh, retired in the 1990s. What a glorious time to sit back on your little Apple computer and watch the stock market, which was newly on the computers and this new thing called the Internet, and just watch your portfolio grow great time to retire, 10 years of just wonderful times, uh, just letting your money work for you. We're not going back to that. And if we are, and if you're experiencing uh, that kind of growth with no risk, with no effort, I'm going to tell you that these days, what it tells you is there's a bubble going on. And the problem is, we should be alarmed when bubbles are growing. When the Shenzhen Stock Exchange in China is up 120% since the start of the year, that's where people should be alarmed. But they're not. They're alarmed when it comes down. It coming down is good news, but it's the coming down when people get hurt. So what you're going to hear about today is we have a great, great show put together. Sorry to lecture you. I just thought I'd put the show in perspective for a minute and just kind of talk about what are we really doing here and why are we doing this and... What's our purpose? And what we're really looking at is we look at a lot of uh, safe ways to get good growth on gains, but get it out of the crosshairs of the risk in the economy that is to come. And before I get even get into the conversation of what you should do and how you can keep your money safe and and this solution, that solution, we first have to convince you that there's even a risk because the social veneer makes it seem very mild. People don't easily look at things that they can't see right on the surface. And you've got to scratch the surface to understand the bubble that we are in today and what it means to, uh, to uh, people that are trying to save in their 401k and their IRA. So today we have a great interview. We're going to continue. This is part two of a great interview we have with Nicole Jolinus. Nicole Jolinus is a senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute for Policy Research in New York. Now she is quite uh, outspoken. She's all over the place. She uh uh is an editor and a writer for City Journal uh magazine in uh, New York City and she talks a lot about their issues there, what's going on in their city economics and and the management uh, of their uh, of their economy there. But she's also been on the national scene some, and she I discovered a video that she did for Prager University, Dennis Prager's um, series of, if you haven't seen them, go to YouTube and watch these things. Uh, they're graphically laid out in good foundational concepts about the economy, about society, about politics that are just marvelously laid out. And she narrated one called Why the uh, Big Banks Should Not Be Built Out by Government. So I looked her up and uh, we started an interview last week. As you heard, last week we went over the following topics. We just went over things like how we actually got here as an economy that must depend on government stimulus and, and why when institutions fail, they always have to be bailed out and how we got to a place where no one has to get hurt. We covered that. We talked about why people don't fear the boom and why investors um, should have savings before they have investments. Uh, we talked about an interesting sociological uh, situation, which is that we are definitely suffering over recent decades of decreasing incomes in households, but the standard of living has been held up by rising debt. So, if people have, as people have made less money, they've had greater access to debt. It feels like we're still living well but nobody's got any savings around here. And that is a that is a clarion call for something up the road that's going to be very disastrous if we don't turn it around. Today, you want to know what you're going to hear about today? Today, Nicole and I are going to talk about the following. We're going to get into some details about what is the money trail from the Federal Reserve printing to the stock market. How exactly does uh money that is printed at the Federal Reserve and made loose, how does that inflate stocks and cause a bubble? What's the trail? And we're not only going to hear from Nicole Gelinas, we're going to hear from Carl Icahn, who's worth $21 billion and like he has to tell you anything. He doesn't have to tell you a darn thing. But he's worried that the average guy is going to get hurt. We, we're going to—he's going to talk about that money trail. David Stockman's going to talk about that money trail. If I have time, I will bring in some comments from my friend Harry S. Dent, who is always uh, in your face about things. And we're also going to talk about uh, where is the risk in the banking system today? Is there a risk that the banking system could freeze up again? We're going to talk about China We're going to, with Nicole Gelinas. We're going to talk about Europe with Nicole Gelinas. And we're going to talk about, I pose a question to her, will things have to get worse before they get better in terms of this bubbling of our economy? Now, again, if you've got a job today and you've got your 401k, this, what I'm saying won't make sense. It's, uh, there's no problem. My stocks lost a little bit. My broker says it'll always come back. What I'm really trying to impress you in this show is there is a school of thought that things are not today like they've ever been in the past. We live in historically different times and that you're enjoying a bubble. And again, no one wants to get out of the bubble when it is, uh, when it's at its best. You can never take a gambler out of the off the table with his winnings. He's got to get hurt to walk away from that table. I don't want people to get hurt. And I'm not giving you stock advice specifically here to a bra. Everybody's different. Every situation is different. But we are talking about the economy and the fact that federal money printing has bubbled up the markets. So with no further ado, oh, by the way, we have a great giveaway. Write this number down. I got stuff to give you guys for free when you call in today. 888 888- 882-5578 888-882-5578 That's 888-882-5578 So last week we gave out copies of Nicole Gelinas' book called After the Fall, Saving Capitalism from Wall Street and Washington Let's make that the name of the show today Saving Capitalism from Wall Street and Washington That's a, a name of the show today, episode 2 with Nicole Gelinas um, so they were kind of sending these books, and you know what? I still have some on hand. I got about ten. Now last week we said you can't have one unless unless uh you had not called in within the last year. But I still got books and this is the second show, and I don't know if we're gonna repeat it. So you know what? I got ten books. Uh, You call in now, 888-882-5578, 888-882-5578. Let's see, what's the list price here? $16.95, $17 book at Barnes & Noble. I'll give you what I got for free, but call now, 888-882-5578. I'll read you just a little bit uh, from her book. It says, since the first rumblings of the economic crisis began in 2007, Americans have suffered... Years of recession, stagnation, and fear. The culprit is not free markets, as many have claimed, but Washington policy. The problem is how politicians and regulators have treated the nation's, quote, too big to fail, unquote, financial industry for nearly three decades. As financial markets melted down in 2008, President George W. Bush made it clear that taxpayers stood behind large financial firms. Months later, President Barack Obama pumped nearly $800 billion in, quote, stimulus, unquote, into the economy. A year after that, the Federal Reserve under Ben Bernanke attempted another $800 billion rescue. Yet the economy remains stalled. Americans can't pull themselves up by their bootstraps while Wall Street, operating under government protection, is pushing them down. Wow, that's an interesting thing. Now, if you own a lot of stocks, you don't think Wall Street's pushing you down, but you have a problem. There's a disconnect between the economy and the stock market. That's what this book is about. Call 888-882-5578, 888-882-5578, first come, first serve. Uh, we will give you a free copy of this book list for $17. All right, first of all, I asked Nicole Jalinus about the money trail. Where is the money trail from the Federal Reserve printing to Wall Street? How exactly does it inflate stocks? Before I get to Nicole Jalinus, I want to talk, um, I want to let David Stockman give his version, followed by Carl Icahn, who will give his version, and that'll put some perspective and, and, um, and context to Nicole Jalinus' comments. So here's a short clip from uh, David Stockman on the uh, Bill Moyers show. What
2: do you mean by the free money that banks are using uh, overnight?
3: Well, by that we mean when the Fed, uh, Federal Reserve uh, sets the so-called uh, federal funds rate, at 10 basis points, where it is today, that more or less guarantees banks can go into the Fed window, the discount window, and borrow at 10 basis points. And then you take that money and you buy a government bond that is yielding 2% or 3% or buy some corporate bonds that are yielding 5%. Or if you want to really get aggressive, buy some Australian dollars that have been going up, or buy some cotton futures. Um, And this is really what has been going on in our markets. The cheap funding, which is guaranteed by the Fed, the investment of that cheap funding into speculative assets, and then pocketing the spread. And you can make huge amounts of money as long as the music doesn't stop. And when the music stops, then all of a sudden the cheap overnight money dries up. This is what's happening in Europe today. This is what happened in 2008. And then people are stuck with all of these risky assets and they can't fund them. They owe cash to the people they borrowed uh, overnight from or uh, on a weekly basis. That's what creates the so-called contagion. That's what creates the downward spiral. Now, unless we let those burn out uh, it'll be done over and over. In other words, if uh, you know, if they, if a lesson isn't learned, then the uh, error will be repeated over and over.
1: By the way, if I didn't say earlier, David Stockman used to run the federal budget. I mean, the, David Stockman was the. Um uh, I think Office of Management and Budget Director for the Reagan administration. So he was the one that was in, uh, put in charge when Ronald Reagan said, we're going to slash government, we're going to slash taxes. Young Mr. Stockman, CPA, uh, did the work on that. So this guy's no, he's just not some guy on the sidelines. He's been majorly involved. Okay, let's talk about Carl Icahn. What does Carl Icahn have to say about how federal money printing inflates the markets? Um, Carl Icahn is worth 21 billion dollars. If you look him up, uh, he uh, is—he's a, a major player, friend of Dave, Donald Trump's. Uh, moved the markets when he sold his portion of Netflix. Um, known, I think, as an activist investor. He'll he'll invest in a company and then kind of start to push them in a certain direction, of course, to do better for himself. But he owns so much stock that he has that push that he can sway. He was recently on Fox News, and he was talking about his concerns about how federal money printing creates a bubble.
0: Donald and I have been friends for years. But what I have said on my tweet and what I will repeat is that he's right on on one thing that, uh, that I believe Financial, in financial markets, I believe that there really is a bubble brewing. Just as in 07, I was very cautious and believed that the housing uh, market would blow up. I uh, will tell you that uh, that time, too, everybody said that, and uh, nobody did anything about it. And interest rates now are at a blow that in the history of the Federal Reserve, they've never been held down this long. And I don't think anyone will deny that it's uncharted territory, and it could be very, very uh, destructive to, uh, to our markets and our economy uh, because it's sort of like a drug and uh, you, you become addicted to that drug. And when you take that drug, the longer you take it, the more difficult it is to get off of it. And you don't know what happens to the patient when you take them off, uh, when you're doing something that's uncharted. I think uh, the Fed did a great job in a way, a great job that saved, I really think saved the whole financial community. Many of the very same people that took advantage of 07 are taking advantage of the situation today. And then every time the Fed wants to raise rates, or talks about that taper uh, tantrum. Um, it, it's almost like a baby crying that they want their candy or they want those, whatever you're feeding them. And the Fed gives in to them. And I, I, I personally own a lot of stocks. And so I'm not saying this because I, I, I'm i being hurt by uh, by this, but the, the, the real issue is what is good for our financial... The market. And I think Donald's right in speaking out, and very few other people are speaking out. Well, so, uh, uh, Carl, it's good to have you. Neil Cavuto here. Uh, to follow on that, on that issue, Donald Trump is saying that it's all propped up on helium, essentially, and, and that it's unrealistic. Paul Volcker, when he was here with us, more or less said the same thing, the former <laughs> Fed chairman, saying that this can't go on forever. But it is unwinding that, that that's going to be tough, right? I mean, Volcker said, yes, as any Fed chairman will tell you, he or she always looks at the market impact of their decisions. But that this has gone maybe too far and that that unwinding that or or shaking the markets of this notion that the fed is always going to have their back is is not going to go down easily and i'm wondering your views notwithstanding, when the fed does hike let's say it does happen later this year that how is that going to go down and i'm I'm, is it going to be a tantrum and is is that something the fed should even care about well you you've asked a lot of questions neil you throw a lot of stuff out here but I, I like to look at things simplistically and um what i believe is that it's very risky what they're doing because nobody knows what's going to happen that this market is being built and this is something that i feel in all the modesty i know something about this market is being built on earnings everybody loves to see earnings how well you're doing what are sales going on and the earnings if you really dig into them are built on these very low interest rates because uh, you don't have to be a genius or even a great CEO to understand that if you could borrow money at 4% or 5% And incidentally, the high yield market is the most dangerous And, and they, you could go borrow money at some double B company, a triple B company and borrow it at 5 and a quarter percent so You don't have to be a genius to understand, well, you know, I'm going to take that money, I'll go buy another company I'll go buy some stocks out there and and i'll i'll synergize i'll put them in and even if it doesn't fit in with my company even if i don't like what i'm buying i'm looking i'm a ceo and unfortunately a lot of ceos are looking at next year with their options to come due for two years and they say hey i'm borrowing at four percent and i'm making 12 percent because of my synergies so my sales go up i make more money the market loves me because the market looks quarter to quarter unfortunately and as a result you see a market that's going up artificially also a lot of these guys buying back stock but a lot of these companies that are buying stock back if you look at their balance sheets they have no net worth so you are building i believe a, a, a bubble just like uh, i guess i think volker said it and donald said it and you know uh, some people don't agree with donald on a lot of things he says some do but the one thing you say about donald that i think is great is he'll say what he believes and he's not afraid to say it and you should really talk about what is happening in our economy and I think it, it could be extremely dangerous. He's and a little he's like you. That. He says
3: what he thinks, Carl. Um, well, I, yeah, so, I,
0: I, do, I, I think Donald does it more than I do it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, hey, we'll circle back on this thing about buybacks. Buybacks is a key way that Fed money printing leaks into the, leaks into the markets. And Harry Dent and I had a discussion on it about a year ago. Uh, where Harry really called these buybacks sort of a artificial inflation stock prices. But I want to get to our guest of the day, Nicole Gelinas. Nicole Gelinas, I will remind you, is a senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute for Policy Research. Uh, very outspoken. She's worked with Prager University on developing at least one video about why the Fed should not bail out big banks. And guess what? People are already calling in for her book today. Uh, this is the... Um, Called After the Fall, Saving Capitalism from Wall Street and Washington. And it's got a big picture of Benjamin Franklin on the hundred dollar bill with a black eye. And you can have this book. I still got some copies left. It's first come, first served today. The number's 888 eight 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 two five 888-882-5578. It's not a hard read, by the way. It's um, let's see, it is about 193 pages, not even 200 pages. Great history of how we got to the point where the markets are addicted to stimulus. Triple eight eight You're listening to Straight Talk Wealth Radio every Sunday morning here on News Talk 1590 KVTA. So I asked Nicole Gelinas, you, we're getting in now on the part two of the interview because we did part one earlier last week. I asked her about this money trail. How does the money printing get to Wall Street? So uh, let's dig in and listen to her response. Meanwhile, you can call 888-882-5578. And if you call early enough, you'll get her book. Uh, After the Fall, Saving Capitalism from Wall Street and Washington. 888-882-5578. Okay, well, let's carry this forward a little bit. I want to talk about if our problem here is that we've socialize the risks, and we made the risks less visible uh, and less scary, and and there's people out there doing things with our money or our economy's money, whether it's our money at the bank, whether it's the great investments we're so sure are on solid ground when we get them to find out that one day uh, Wall Street isn't what it appeared to be. Help me understand the current paper trail between... The low interest rates we have today and what the government policy is or the Fed policy, more succinctly, how does that create the current Wall Street bubble? Help me, help me understand the paper trail here because the brokers are going to talk about good earnings. There's great earnings. That's what. There is no bubble. The earnings are fantastic. But help me understand how maybe we get from cheap money at the Fed to inflated stock prices where that trail is.
4: Sure, and uh, you know uh, the price-to-earnings ratio is is still pretty high. And also, how are companies making these earnings? If they have really managed to grow their profitability over the past six years through cost cutting. You know, it's massive, massive uh, cutting of employees in Western countries and hours and benefits. And so, is that it's wonderful that earnings are good, but if you are trying to earn money working at one of these companies, it's it's not so wonderful. But I think you know. How, and as to the broader question, how does the Fed help to create a bubble, yeah. since 2008, what did we see the Federal Reserve start to do? Cut interest rates. And we've never had interest rates at zero before. Now we've had 0% Federal Reserve interest rates going on well over half a decade now. And people may say, well, wait a minute, interest rates aren't at 0%. You know, I can't borrow for 0%. My credit card is 19%. My uh, my mortgage is, is 4%. But the banks can borrow more or less for free. In fact, sometimes they have to pay money to keep their money at other banks because there's just so much cash out there. You know, people, the financial institutions have no idea what to do with all this cash. And the Federal Reserve's answer is, we'll, we'll give you even more cheap cash so where does all this money end up ends up in the stock market around the world not just the american stock market ends up in global real estate markets you know cities like new york london even la to some extent have their uh, high-end real estate bubbles
1: but nicole I, i think the trail goes a little bit uh obscure in other words are you saying that banks are investing in stocks, or banks are investing in real estate? That's where I'm. I, I sometimes, on our show with our listeners, try to really dig, scratch a little bit deeper. Which is okay. The banks get free money, but are we saying that the banks are buying stocks?
4: They're really. They are investing their clients' money, and the clients can't get any return. You, know, if you want to buy. Uh, a bond in a bank, or you want to buy a CD, or you're looking for some kind of safe investment, there's no such thing. You'll be making 0% on your investments. You know, you, you can't make any interest. Oftentimes, the fees on your bank account are more than the interest. And so the banks say, we've got hundreds of billions or trillions of dollars of our clients' money to invest we will encourage people to purchase real estate or to purchase riskier bonds or to to go into the stock market because they need to make some kind
1: of return. But but if to, I may, I don't invest through my bank. So now and maybe we need to sort of parse out again. This is a,
4: yes, and the language of yeah. one of the problems is. Glass Hill really ended the difference between banks and a lot of things that we don't think of as banks. I mean, Brokers, investment banks, brokerage firms, and and so forth. So, but so- certainly traditional, old-fashioned banks they lend money to real estate projects based on rising values. You know, they mm-hmm. they will invest in things like municipal bonds and so forth to try to get some kind of return, the more money there is chasing after these financial instruments, you push the value of these instruments up and then it's harder and harder to make a good return. So you end up in the riskiest markets. Sure. The uh, banks, mostly on the investment banking side, raise money for mergers and acquisitions that can be done with debt. You'll go out to investors and say, you can put some money behind this acquisition. And so all of this cheap borrowed money pushes up that asset values, whether it's the value of a bond. You know, you, you have to pay $105 for a bond that's only worth $100 face value, or stock market value goes way up. Real estate markets go way up and investors all over the world they they, they're chasing the same assets with more and more cheap borrowed money and so the asset values don't bear much resemblance to reality
1: yeah hey you're listening to straight talk wealth radio i'm your host bruce whitey we're here every morning at 8 a.m on news talk 1590 kbta today you are listening to episode two of my interview with Nicole Gelinas. She is a senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute for Policy Research. And her book is called After the Fall, Saving Capitalism from Wall Street and Washington. And a great book on how we are dependent on Washington to keep our stock market afloat. We're dependent on taxpayer dollars to keep investors whole. And it has created a chasm between the real economy and the investor economy. And what you need to be thinking about, now listen, seriously, what you need to be thinking about is whether we can perpetuate that forever, whether we can just keep printing money. See, here's the thing that I notice: I notice that people just know that it came back, but there's people that can put their finger on what made it came back. And there's people that either don't want to look, don't care, or think that it's beyond them so they don't want to think about it too much. But we're addicted to zero interest rates. We're addicted to stimulates, to stimulants in the economy, government stimulants, whether it's bailing out companies or whatever. But it's, it's all borrowed and printed money, and at some point, it's got to come to an end, either by the collapse of the system or... What else? but a but a big shakeout has to occur to get back to a balance on this. We've been talking about a lot on this show. We've given you over the weeks great solutions. If you want to know, by the way, what you should do about your own portfolio, if you're worried that your portfolio is at risk from this bubble, before someone sells you a widget, before someone who does safe money says, "Buy this thing." The first thing you need to do is stand back and look at the big picture of what your situation is. How at risk are you? Now, by the way, for those who are calling today, 888-882-5578, 888-882-5578, get your book. But if you want to get, with no charge, no obligation, a little bit of an overview of, of you know, what else could you be doing than sitting in the middle like a deer in the headlights in the middle of a stock bubble that may well burst somewhere by 2020, according to these professionals and these authorities. And you want to know what else can you, where you can get a decent rate of return? How can you divide up what you want to leave at risk versus what you shouldn't have? And basically, are you even on track? Are you saving enough for retirement? What lifestyle are you trying to live? How much inflation are you planning on within that? We do all of that in a very easy service called Retirement Roadmap. And you're more than welcome to use that service for free when you call 888 888-882-5578. 888-882-5578. Uh, ask the uh, operator to uh, set you up for a retirement roadmap. They will do that. My office will call you back during the week. And it's a very simple process. We ask you six basic questions to get a snapshot of your situation. I put that into our software and either you can visit us in our office in Oxnard and go over that. We can monkey with it. We can raise inflation. We can raise your rate of return, lower your rate of return, all kinds of adjustments. You can see visually right in front of you what that does, or we can do it over the internet. So it's a great service. And That is how we know what to recommend because anybody who's recommending the same thing to everybody, it's not a, it's not a consultation and it's not an analysis. It's a sales pitch and we don't recommend the same thing to everybody. It's a little different for each person. We have our favored ways of, of uh, getting good, safe growth, but how you are going to implement that and what products you're going to use? And it's different for everybody. So uh, you can get a free piece of me piece of straight talk wealth radio and follow up and really figure out you know how does all this apply to you how should it apply to you by calling 888 882 5578 888 882 5578 and ask the operator for the retirement roadmap tell the operator you want a free retirement roadmap and we will be happy to oblige you and take care of that for no charge and no obligation okay the next clip here is I asked Nicole, where is the risk in the banking system? Because it's one thing that, okay, a bunch of rich guys lost their stock prices. Big deal. But where it affects everybody in the entire economy is when those bubbles get into the banking system and cause risk there. So I continued our conversation to ask her, um, how do these bubbles then put the banking system at risk? And again, you can get her book, which is called After the Fall, Saving Capitalism from... Wall Street and Washington, or you will include it, any way you look at it, we'll include it when you order a free retirement roadmap by calling 888-882-5578, 888-882-5578. Hey, Nicole, where's the risk in the banking system? Where is the risk in the banking system or the overall system? Where do you see... The crack potentially happening that could bring us to our knees again uh, in the current circumstances
4: well the is there enough liquidity if people want to start selling these assets you know China may be a test of that, but people who have invested in high quality corporate bonds or municipal bonds or uh, bond funds you know the the ETFs that themselves invest in bonds. It's easy to buy things when the value is going up. What if suddenly everybody wants to sell these things because interest rates are rising or they don't think these investments are as safe as they were? Would the market fall precipitously and you know, cause people to be concerned that things that they invested in that they thought were safe are not so safe? I mean, that's a, a risk any time, really, but it, it is exacerbated as this uh, the years since 2008 go on. We're just on schedule for just a normal cyclical recession. At some points, you know, we'll we'll be lucky if if we have that. Could we have a worse financial crisis? Also quite possible. But I think you know people tend to they're always worried about when is the bubble going to burst? You know what's going to happen? I think the the bigger issue. Facing us is how do we provide people with middle class jobs without relying on these constant bubbles? You know, whether mm-hmm. it was the tech bubble, the housing bubble, now this global asset bubble, we have a difficult time just sort of maintaining ho hum markets and allowing people to to make a decent living through that way.
1: So, uh, what what do you see as um what, what do you see as? Well, let, let me just summarize that for a minute before I ask you my yeah. question. So... So we have, we have a couple different areas here and it's interesting because uh, I think as a, an, an academic and as an e- economist where you are at, in a university, your focus is uh, quite often the, the very macro picture about jobs and the economy. And of course, we have a lot of guys out here and they're worried about their, their statements. Okay? So I want to merge these two worlds because they are in fact connected. Yep. But I guess so. when we talk about risk, oh, I know what I want to ask you here. So, okay, we could have a, a stock crash. That's fine. You know, maybe we need to. Maybe some rich guys lose part of their portfolio. Who cares?
4: Yeah, and I would also say, you know, if you're a middle class person or even an upper middle class person and you're sitting at home thinking, oh my goodness, what if the stock market crashes? I've got all my money in stocks and so I'm very worried about this. Is it going to happen or not? You know, that's that's not a good question to be asking yourself. I mean, you really, you should be in a position where you don't care if the market crashes. If, if you've got so much money in stocks that you can't withstand a market crash, then that's your problem. The problem is not whether the market's going to crash or not.
1: So, here's the place where it transitions where the entire country gets caught in the grip. And that is where a stock crash, recession, fallback, correction turns into a banking crisis. to, To where we are then looking at we can't get more than $60 a day out of our ATMs. So so where's, where's the risk in the banking sector? Or help me understand how what we're worried about a little, uh, or little or big stock market bubble for investors, how might where we're at today, how could that induce a banking crisis that grips everybody? How's that connection well, make?
4: It has to do with how much debt is behind a bubble. When the tech bubble burst, It wasn't that bad partly because there are very strict limits on how much you can borrow against the stock market. You know, we're seeing the problem in China because they don't have these strict limits, but average person in America can't go and borrow hundreds of thousands of dollars to speculate on, on the stock market. You know, there are strict requirements to put 50% of the cash up behind these purchases. Most people don't have that much cash to speculate on, on stocks. And when the market goes down, there are the broker will call you and ask for more money. If you don't have it, they'll sell the stock. And these came out of the depression and they work pretty well, actually. We haven't had a depression caused by a stock market crisis in this country in well, uh, nearly a century. You're looking at uh, 80, 86 years I guess and so uh that works well. The problem with the housing market was you could borrow against the whole value of your house. So people had a $300,000 house, they had borrowed $300,000 against it, and the value went to 250. you owe more money than you have. And so suddenly, you may not be able to pay your debt. If enough people can't pay it, the banks start to have serious, serious problems. And even if you can pay your debt, you'll be thinking, I'm not going to go out to eat, I'm not going to get my nails done, I'm not going to buy clothes, I'll only buy clothes for my kids because they're growing, but I'm not growing. You know, I'm not going to take my vacation. And so consumer spending really slows down, and so all of these people Mm -hmm. who provide these services, they either lose their jobs or they're making less money themselves, and so then they do the same thing. They can't go out and spend money, so it turns into kind of a vicious cycle, and uh, that has to do with how much debt people have borrowed behind these assets. You know, the bad news for now is we after 2008 we never got rid of our addiction to debt. your know, consumer debt today is at record levels. why is the economy doing well? you know, did suv sales way way up, car sales way way up. why? because people are borrowing money at record low rates to to buy these vehicles and these create hundreds of thousands of jobs. if we can't borrow this much money, those jobs will go away just like they did last time.
1: and and you know, uh let me just pull that forward a little bit. I don't know if, if you're fully informed or have the numbers on this, but there's several layers of debt. Now, you talk here about consumer debt, but when, I'm, when we're looking at what is the risk in banking today, there's also business debt. There's also something that we didn't have in the Great Depression, which is financial sector debt, which is just debt that is leveraged to invest or, or yes. cause other debt. Uh, wouldn't those actually be greater risks today than consumer debt to the banking sector?
4: Uh, well, a lot of this debt is someone's someone's investment. Is it's the money that you borrowed, somebody else borrowed, so yeah. that they can lend you that money? So, <laughs> if if you if you look at, say, we've got ten trillion dollars worth of mortgage debt in in the country, or maybe twenty five trillion dollars worth of uh, total. Uh, uh, debt. So, But you wouldn't necessarily add those together because if the bank lent you money to borrow a mortgage, the bank borrowed money from depositors or from bondholders. So consumer debt kind of mirrors financial sector debt. If people aren't paying their mortgages or they're not paying their credit card or their home loan debt, uh, that that hurts the bank, and that in turn hurts the investors who lend money to the bank.
1: Yeah, I guess... And the re- same,
4: you know, co- co- company debt... Corporations, you, large corporations, they're, they don't have a huge debt problem. They've borrowed money in the past few years because interest rates are cheap, but they've got all this money stowed away overseas. So mm-hmm. they're, they're not they have more debt than they did a few years ago, but they don't look like consumers. I mean, the corporation's problem is they have too much money and they don't know what to do with it. Their debt problem is more when consumers can't borrow, they stop buying corporate products.
1: Yeah, but I think I think the reason I bring this up and the reason I keep kind of picking at it is I think that if if the average person looks at the housing market back in 07 mm-hmm. we we all knew some sort of mania was occurring. Uh, buy for nothing flip, and everybody gets rich on real estate and that 's the new uh, that 's the new economy stupid sure uh, i don 't think we see that mania going on, so I think there could be a little bit of an obscurity to to the average person about why the banking se- banking sector is probably not at risk anymore because if we understand that debt is it 's the debt that 's involved in the, the inflated bubble. And if the bubble breaks and that debt starts to break, well, I don't see a lot of houses that are uh, being flipped like this anymore and all that mania. So I don't think the banking se- sector's at any risk. My sense is, and correct me if I'm wrong, my sense is that it's a different kind of debt today that ha- that could have the banking sector on the edge. Am I wrong or am I right about that?
4: No, I, I think the, the overall problem is we have pushed asset values back up. So there may not be a housing bubble in the sense that between 2000 and 2006, house prices may have doubled. They haven't doubled again, but they still may be at values that are not realistic. And so we've had... I guess the housing bubble peaked in 2006 so we've had almost a decade of collapse and stagnation in the housing bubble market uh, or, or in the housing market mm-hmm. could if we have another problem and interest rates go up do house prices then just go back to stagnating or growing very very slowly and it takes it takes people even longer to make up for all the losses that they suffered in 2006. So I think it's a different problem in that there's not a mania that's driving consumer spending, but there is a recovery that makes people feel better and is the recovery real? I think with other global asset markets, you know, the stock market, the high end real estate market, the valuations it's hard to say they have anything to do with fundamentals. Yeah. And we have a huge, huge disconnect between the value of the stock market, the high end real estate market and so forth with the amount of money that that people are are making the health of the average worker, it looks nothing like the health of these asset values.
1: Yeah. Alright, well that was a long one, but that was a good clip to kind of just look at the... Uh Look at where the risk is in the banking system, and uh, is it the same as it was before? Hey, listen, we're still going to talk to Nicole a little bit more about China. We're going to talk to her about Europe. going to talk about will things get worse before they get better. Uh, the number here, if you want Nicole Gelinas' book, this is Straight Talk Wealth Radio, heard every Sunday morning at KVTA 1590 News Talk in Ventura. You can have Nicole Gelinas' book. You're listening to my interview with her. She is a senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute for Policy Research. Very outspoken, very involved in New York City uh, economics and policy uh, direction and all of that. Writes a lot about the city there, but she is occasionally on the national scene and I got a got a chance to uh, speak with her. Her book is called After the Fall Saving Capitalism from Wall Street and Washington and I still got a few copies left. So you can have it for free. It is a $17 book at Barnes & Noble. You can get it by calling 888-882-5578. 888-882-5578. First come, first serve on this. 888-882-5578. Uh, let's go into, let's just keep this thing rolling. We're almost out of time. I asked her a little bit about what's going on in China. Uh, amazing. You know, you've heard us talk a lot about China and the Chinese real estate bubble. The real estate bubble is starting to cool off and contract. And so the money's flown to the stock market. Oh, insane. Uh, the, uh, Shenzhen index up 120% at its peak since the start of the year. And now they are feeling what happens and, 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 Chinese government is buying stocks to keep the markets up. Hmm, kind of a mirror image of what we've done in a way, just a little bit more right, less lipstick on the pig. Let's talk to Nicole about it. Is the Chinese bubble, is the Chinese asset bubble, uh, influencing our uh, high-end real estate bubble?
4: Sure. The for years and years, wealthy Chinese individuals they've wanted to put money overseas. How did they get wealthy because they started trading with us they were able to hire a lot of people who once did jobs in America exporting products and services to the US made some people very very rich and they took their money and they put it back into New York City apartments or a house in in Los Angeles or a, a, a house in London and so forth so some of that money is recycled back to us in the form of higher asset prices
1: and I want to just talk about global risk here and then we'll wrap this up. Um, in a nutshell, tell us what's going on in China.
4: Well, uh, the... Chinese, after 2008, they kind of had the opposite problem that we had. You know, they, they have a export-based economy. They employ uh, hundreds of millions of people exporting products. And so if their export partners, if the U.S., if Europe, if they're cutting back on their consumer spending, they're not borrowing as much, their economy loses jobs. And they did not want that to happen for a lot of reasons. So they started putting more and more of that money... Uh, Trying to keep it at home, you know, building apartment complexes, building subway systems, building infrastructure. Some of which is needed, some of which is really not needed right now. Uh, and then even that has started to peter out over the past couple of years. You know, they have their own real estate bubble and excess and so forth. And so they've been encouraging people to put money into the stock market. You know, borrow a lot of money, and this is a case where Chinese banks do let people borrow money and put it into the stock market. You know, this is a reform wow. that we enacted after the. Depression, but they were going in the other direction because they want people to feel wealthy, so that they are spending money, they're investing money, and now the problem is it's gotten so out of control. As the stock market goes down, a lot of middle class people are going to be very, very upset at the Chinese government. So, you know, they've got this. This is not unique to China. All countries, as we see, have financial problems and crises and so forth. But this is not something that the Chinese people have experienced. Is a is a modern market crash and a loss of wealth so it's not it's no better for them than it is for any other country that has massive job losses and so forth after one of these things crashes
1: yeah it almost seems like they've gone from the slow train wreck of the real estate uh, market to the fast train wreck of stocks
4: yeah, and so it's not, obviously, not very good for them. Not good if you are a person in China trying to make a, a living, but probably not very good for us either because these are global markets. You know, one market doesn't go up while the others go down.
1: Yeah. We're talking about bubbles. We always talk about bubbles on this show, don't we? This is Straight Talk Wealth Radio, and uh, I'm interviewing Nicole Gelinas, who is the senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute in uh, New York City. And, um,. We'll continue again. We're going to talk about Europe. Listen, while you're listening, if you want a copy of her book, call 888-882-5578, 888-882-5578. And ask for your free retirement roadmap while you're at it, because that is where we can sit down with you. And tell you how to get out of risk, how to get safer, how much risk should you take? We don't get people all out of stocks, by the way, but it's about balance. I am seeing, I can't tell you the amount of people I've seen in their 60s, 70s, and 80s, 100% in stocks, 70% in stocks. The Fed has created an environment where there's nowhere else to go at but to be at risk. The problem is when the whole thing comes crashing down, we will all be impoverished. There are other angles on this. There are other ways to build wealth and not be at this kind of risk. I mean like – you know, we did our seminar a few weeks ago on a Thief of the Night uh, and four hours at the River Ridge Golf Course. And we were going over things that I was shocked people didn't know about, had not heard of. Where have they been? Well, they're all in the stocks and they're doing what their brokers tell them to do. And that's that's the profit center for the broker, more power to them. But there are alternatives and other ways to preserve wealth and build wealth than to be in the midst of this bubble, overly exposed. If you want to know about that, get a retirement roadmap by calling 888-882-5578 888-882-5578 888 5578 let's go back to my uh, interview with Nicole Jolinus and we talked about Europe. Okay, let's let's move on globally here for a minute. What's going on in Greece and can can Greece get fixed? Is is there going to be an extension solution to Greece or um, is is it a lost case? Well,
4: Greece is, Problem is, I mean, there's a lot of problems. You know, every country has problems, but their their main problem is that they borrowed way too much money. They owe 175 percent of their gross domestic product. You know, countries in the West they may owe 50 to 75 percent. Japan owes more money than Greece, but most Western countries do not. Mm-hmm. They cannot pay back this borrowed money. You know, they could do they could do twice as much austerity as they've already done, and they still can't pay back this borrowed money. You know, sometimes you just cannot pay back the money that you owe. And it's the lenders who should have thought of this before lending this money. And so they will have to default on – I mean, they they did default, but they will have to permanently default – And take some, the lenders are going to have to take some real losses on, on this debt. After that, they've got the normal problems of, you know, not having a competitive enough economy, you know, their retirement benefits, although they've raised the retirement age and so forth, they could still do more of, of that, uh, so they've got, you know, normal kind of profligate country problems, the problems that an aging aging country has in supporting its retirees. But most of all, the euro allowed other European investors to lend them way too much money without ever thinking, is this a stable environment to lend money into?
1: So what's our risk? What's our concern about the frailty of Europe? I mean, how much can we really be affected by what happens over there? Well, I think there's
4: a lot of reasons why we could be affected. I mean, first of all, we have a Western defense shield, you know, whether it's working with NATO or working uh, with France and Northern Africa or working with uh, Britain on some of the other global defense issues. So you know, the defense costs money and if these countries are not growing, they're not they're not putting their two percent share of GDP to NATO like they're supposed to, you know, non NATO countries maybe not investing as much in their defense. So it makes the world a little bit less safe if they're not investing enough money because Because they don't have the money to do that. And I also think, you know, on a less grave basis, if Europeans aren't doing well, they're not traveling, they're not spending money here, they're not buying our products and, and services and so forth. You know, in general, it is in our interest to have a healthy, sustainable Europe and Asia.
1: Now, here's the thing why I'm so concerned about this debt. And I know you're not going to get that much vibe from her about what this means to investors. She's going to look at what it means. She's an academic. She is an economist. And she's looking at maximum employment and jobs and building the middle class. And you and I are looking at our 401ks and our IRAs and our brokerage accounts. A little bit different effect. But what I want you to understand is when you have asset prices that are swollen on the fact that they're built on debt. You have huge debt. You're stretching you're stretching and stretching and stretching a bubble. So the point is, that whole bubble is built on the idea that these asset prices are worth the fact that they're built on debt and the debt's going to get paid off. But when you have a disruption like the country of Greece busting its debt, where she said they can't pay their debt, they're going to have... Then what you have is a very tightly stretched asset price level around the world suddenly realizing that the debt that it was built on ain't going to get paid. And that's where things change very, very rapidly. And uh, the banks and big investors around the world run to the exits and try to protect themselves from that bubble bursting, which was built on debt that now it's realized clearly this ain't going to get paid. So the assets that bought on that debt aren't worth what they were sold for either. And there goes the markets, there goes asset prices, there goes stocks. You get that run of confidence, people get scared, there goes stock prices. That's the story here. Now, I interviewed Harry recently, I'm going to try to get to this clip real quick, and I asked Harry Dent, a major economist, talking head on all the shows, if you listen to us, you know that we're good friends with him, and I asked him how big this asset burst could be. Uh, one other point about boom and bust. You mentioned in there that there's, and I think this is where people really have to get their wits wrapped around. There's $247 trillion of financial assets globally, including loans. So we're counting borrowed and somebody owning a loan as a, as an asset. I predict, you're stating here that you predict, at least $100 trillion or more of those assets will disappear before this economic season ends. Now, that is why you say, that uh, that is you say that because of that breaking that's going to be the very dead end of the QE playbook that something for nothing QE will not run amok next time and this is the crux of it because everybody expects they'll go do it again and so we'll have this inflationary crisis because now they'll print 10 trillion or 20 trillion where last time they only printed 3 trillion you say that that very event is the dead end of the QE playbook and that yeah. it won't run up next time. So why not? And if not, what's that going to look like if they don't QE again? But I mean, that's, that's
2: the million dollar question. They will QE again. But do people lose confidence if after six years of unprecedented QE, and I'll tell you, every person in this country, even the most liberal, is sitting there thinking, do we really get something for nothing? Can we really come out of this economic crisis by just printing money out of thin air? But, but they want it to happen. And it has produced benefits. We would have been through a great depression already without this. So people are like, I'll give it the benefit of the doubt. If this thing fails, and, and if I'm right, in the next two to five years, we go into a greater downturn. Who's going to tell? Who's going to say to governments, "Oh yeah, why don't you just double down or triple down? Aren't you like an addict in Las Vegas betting?" on a better outcome after you've lost all your money. I don't think, you know, at some point any bubble has to fail. Nobody has ever, ever, and if anybody has studied history more than me, I want them to call me up. I've studied history so far back, I don't even talk about it because people think I should get a girlfriend, you know? This has never, ever happened. No bubble has lasted even this long, and they don't last, and they burst, because you can't keep going in this direction and get productive investment again. The next younger generation will never be able to afford a house if home prices stay at this level. They'll never be able to pay off the debt of the baby boom generation in all these countries around the world. We have to reset this thing. It's going to cause some casualties. But the casualties, like in the 30s, should be the banks and financial institutes. And certain governments, it shouldn't be the everyday person paying this price. They didn't cause this crisis. They just followed along.
1: Yeah. Hey, look, you don't have to be a deer in the headlights all, all this. Now, I should have actually gotten into this earlier, and I just re- light went on here. I need to tell you a story about something very simple. This isn't advice. This is just for your educational information. There's an index, for example, called the J.P. Morgan Mosaic. This index tracks a, a non-correlated assets and it's much more diversified than just stocks. Now, something as simple as that, that is mixing things like equities, fixed income, commodities, uh, precious metal, energy, and traditional equity and fixed income options. Just by f- having a more diverse index, I'm gonna give you some interesting stats. When the dot com bubble burst and the S&P 500 declined, Negative forty-seven percent. This J.P. Morgan Mosaic Index would have grown seventeen point five during the financial crisis of two thousand eight, when the S and P declined fifty-six percent. The J.P. Morgan Mosaic would have grown nearly eight point six nine. Now this is back tested, and then so if you look at this back look against this. Uh, the actual chart that we have, and if you ask for a retirement roadmap, I'll turn you on to this. I'll show you all about how you can get a piece of something like this. It's just a small sample of how you can diversify out of, into enough asset classes that you don't get so damaged by the next bubble bursting in stocks. The graph that we have shows actual and back-tested performance in which the index experienced This particular index, it's one of several that we work with, experienced a 69% higher compound annual return than the S&P 500 with 79% less volatility. 69% higher annual return, 79% less volatility. I will send you the brochure if you ask for a free retirement roadmap when you call 888-882-5578. 888-882-5578. Those years I'm talking about, that 69% better return 79% less volatility 1998 to 2014 right up to date. find out more about this and all the other ways you can protect yourself by calling 888-882-5578, get a free retirement roadmap. We will take care of you. We will not sell you. We will analyze, we will consult and we will figure out how you can achieve your goals when you call 888-882-5578. We'll keep you out of the out of the disaster, out of the bubble and we will get you safe and get you to where you want to be. But it's going to be a little different way of thinking. 888-882-5578. Ask for your free retirement roadmap. 888-882-5578. 888-882-5578. See you next week. Content of Straight Talk Wealth Radio is for educational purposes only. Any discussion on financial products and their features is subject to change without notice. Consult your own tax, legal, or financial advisor as to your specific situation. Tax-free benefit specialist and insurance services. California license 0E48147.